Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Two shows in a row. It's a wonder. I know. We did most of the shows in July. We did, and then we missed a bunch. Well, th- things happened. Well, so this is going to be our last show for a couple of weeks. I was going to say, don't pause right after that sentence. <laughs> You'll freak a bunch of people out. Well, that's why if you let me keep talking, there never would have been a pause. Well, okay, so maybe it would have been kind of funny if you'd put a pause there. <clears throat> so, um, because our timing is bad, F1 is returning from their summer break as we go on our break. Yes. Um, apparently, we didn't get the memo when we scheduled that the podcast needed to go on hiatus for the month of September. No, 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 no. It was the other way around. Oh. You didn't send the memo to F1. No, I sent it. No, you didn't. No, I sent it. Whether no. or not they... they It's still sitting in your in your outbox. No. You must have forgot. It's, it's sitting in the drafts. You must have forgotten to hit send. No, I know how to use email. <laughs> I'm quite good at email. I sent it just because Formula One did not honor my request to move their summer break to September. That would work better for me. Um, But no. And fortunately, um, there are things going on that we need to take September off. And then we might remember we have a podcast in October. Well, I'll leave that to you. Why is it always me? Because, you know... We we are targeting the last week of September to start up again. Okay, maybe. You know, it's always touch and go until recording night. Like, it's game day decisions in our world. That's true. No, we try to under-promise and occasionally deliver. Something like that. I'm sure that's the, st- that's the phrase. I'm sure that that's the <laughs> that's, way that that's works. That's definitely how that works. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. All right. So speaking of <clears throat> a long time it's been a busy promise. week. Well, yeah. Long time promised. Did we get any like cool car announcements or anything this past week? So the boys from Ingolstadt have announced uh their interest in Formula One. Is that where my car was born? Yes. Oh. Audi is headquartered in Ingolstadt, Germany. Okay. Now, they've got two plants. I don't remember where the other one is, but they call Ingolstadt home. I mean, I was... I don't know where Ingolstadt is in Germany, and I, I keep saying it because I, I, I just happen to like the word, but, yeah. <laughs> you notice that I am not trying to say it because I will phlegm a little too much. No, I was wondering why our car was doing the happy dance when I got in it earlier today. I'm sure it's supporting its sister brand. Well, the well, not really. So your your car is an actual Audi, so it's not the sister brand. But the racing <clears throat> team is a sister brand to the actual Audi, right? It's like the racing side. It's racing side. I don't know if it, I mean it's like AMG. It's still part of the the organization of Mercedes. It's not a separate arm. Well, yeah, but. My sedan is car, not from the racing culture of Audi. And I think, that doesn't your car say like Audi Sport on the sills? No, because it's not the S series. I don't think it's a sport. You, you do have the S line. I do? Yes. I did not know that. 
Okay. Well, anyway, it did it's the happy dance. It's just a trim package. I mean. <laughs> Bits of plastic. It did the happy dance because Audi is entering Formula One. Uh, they will be entering Formula One as an engine constructor only. And they're doing that because of the new engine regulations. So the engine regulations got finalized, right? They did. We we should have talked about it last week and we did. Oh. So we missed that one. In, in all of the stories that were happening and all of the stuff that was happening and the mocking that we needed to do around the silliest of the silly seasons, which continues... Um, we did not talk about the new engine regulations. So in short, what they have approved without getting too deep, um, the power output is going to stay about the same at around 1,000 horsepower. However, there's going to be uh, new fuel, lower fuel flow. Okay. So they should be more fuel efficient. Um, the ERSK, the kinetic energy ERS, that's being boosted, but the big thing that there was the push for, particularly in order to attract new manufacturers, was the removal of the ERSH. Okay. That's the one around the heat recovery. That's the one that they were pushing to get rid of because it was so expensive for them to develop. Okay. But the MGUH was also something that yeah, was... Yeah, the MGUH, ER, it's all the same components. Oh, okay. Um, those are going away. Um, so that's what we're seeing. Okay. So they've made the engine changes that would be, make a new engine constructor more attractive to enter the sport. Yes. Got it. So Audi stepped up. And, you know, we've been expecting actually the first one to step up to be Porsche knowing that there has been all of this work going on and all of this talk going on around Porsche pairing up with Red Bull for the Red Bull teams mm -hmm. we don't have an announcement yet on Porsche no but today <clears throat> during the Grand Prix Sunday uh, mm -hmm. interviews it sounded like they were fully expecting a Porsche announcement to be made pretty soon and then there was a little tease about Honda possibly staying in the sport, which I thought was crazy talk, and we've mocked it before. But those two teases were pretty solid. And if this was back in the Eccleston days, that would have been as good as an actual announcement. <laughs> so the Honda thing we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that Honda you know, finally looked up and said, hey, wait a minute. Red Bull was actually kind of successful with our engine and maybe we shouldn't have walked away when we did and now they're having second thoughts and the problem is now the only way for them to come back is probably to start a team. Mm. Because they're going to lose Red Bull and Alpha Tori and now you've got Audi coming in that's picking Sauber from Ferrari the only way Honda's getting in is either they're going to have to buy a team, and I don't know if anybody's for sale right now, or start their own team. And we'll talk about that later. But Honda, I think, is, they blew it again. Well, I think they're probably picked up the same strategist that <coughs> Ferrari has been using. That, that could be. Um, so in terms of who is going to run the Audi, because that's the thing is, 
Audi's only coming in and saying that they're going to be an engine constructor. They're not running a team. They're not going to be handling a team. So that's, you know, we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it looks like Audi is poised to um, make solidify their partnership with Alfa Romeo. Yes. We think that's likely. Some of what is seems to be facilitating that we we knew that um the alfa romeo deal with sauber was tenuous at this point you know there, there was no guarantee that that alfa romeo was going to stay with the team long term um and as a result this week there was the announcement that the partnership between sauber and alfa romeo will be ending in 2020 at the end of 2023 mm-hmm. which leaves sauber looking for a partner exactly now, what's interesting, though, is that means you've got 2024 and 2025 with nothing for Sauber. Audi's not coming in as an engine manufacturer until 26. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the other thing is, you know, we, we talk about this potential tie-up with the Red Bulls and Porsche, but again... If Porsche makes the announcement, they're not coming to the team until 26. Well, yeah, that's what maybe that's what the the tease about Honda is, is that Honda will stay until 2026. And that may be that that Red Bull has talked Honda into sticking around for another couple of years because Red Bulls, I think, realize that they can't the end. They can't not make upgrades and improvement to this engine for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Not where they are right now. They can't write off the next three years. No, they have to do something. And so they're going to have to work with the engine they got and upgrade it along the way. So, you know, that was the whole, they built their own engine facility and they were hiring people from Honda. So, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a, instead of the unbranded Honda, it's actually saying Honda's going to stay. I don't know. Be interesting to see, but they got to come up with a way to get through three years. Yeah. So Audi has said that they will make a final decision on their partner for 2026 by the end of the year. I thought we it, knew it was Sauber, though. We think it, it is extremely likely to be Sauber. But I think it's going to be very interesting to see how both this deal and the one with Porsche and, and Red Bull that we are hearing about as potentially coming, how those get structured and how that works and what these interactions look like. Because it does seem really odd for an engine manufacturer to come in, announce a partnership with a team, but we're not coming for another three years. I know, right? Yeah, I mean, when the Honda announcement was made that they were coming with McLaren, it was, what, a year? Mm-hmm. So this is a big gap. I agree. <clears throat> the other thing that, 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 that was of note in this announcement that came from Audi is that Audi made it clear that... Um, even though Audi and Porsche are in the, the same organization and essentially the same family, th- they would be developing their engines for Formula One independently of each other. 
There is not going to be joint engineering efforts between the two. There is not going to be information sharing between the two. They are going to work independently of each other. Interesting. Yeah. Um, You know, on one hand, it means that the VW Group, shockingly, is going to be funding two independent F1 engine development programs. No, no, no. You didn't say that right. Let me correct that sentence for you. The Volkswagen Group? Yeah. No. The Volkswagen Group will be funding two competing engine manufacturers. Okay. So while you're correct about that, that part is not unusual for the Volkswagen Group. Because remember, one of the great rivalries in World Endurance Championship was Audi Porsche. Okay. And yes, two rival competing LMP programs in World Endurance, and they were both at the top of their game and top of the series. And on one hand, they were bitter rivals, but when Audi pulled out, because Audi was the first one to pull out, Porsche was almost immediate with the farewell, we're going to miss you, we really enjoyed this. The, mm-hmm. it, it made the series better. And we had talked about that video when it had come out years ago. It was a very cool video. It really was. It really was. Um, But the key difference there, though, especially in the first couple of years when that had started off, was because of the way the rules work in LMP1, you had Porsche that was running basically conventional racing fuel. Audi was diesel. Mm. That was the Audi TDI in running that LMP car. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're not going to get a TDI <laughs> F1 in. It, it, especially after Volkswagen and their cheater diesels, we're not getting a TDI version. Yeah. But, I mean, that would be an interesting hook if, if they could do something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... We'll see what happens. We'll see where that goes. But it was really kind of interesting that, that, you know, once again, there is not going to be any kind of cross-pollination between the two brands. They are going to be independent development operations. And Audi's position is, and the way, the way they're pitching it right now, is to make sure that they have as much freedom as possible to tailor the design of the engine around their partner's vehicles. And that makes sense. It does. I mean, especially if they, you know, I don't know, watched anything that happened with Honda and McLaren. Well, yes and no. Because if you remember the the first, I think it was the two years of that design, it was McLaren and their insistence on that size zero packaging I thought it was Honda's insistence on the size zero. No, that was McLaren that insisted on the size zero packaging of the bodywork, which didn't give the Honda engine the space that it needed. And that was part of their issue was that it was starving the engine. I thought it was Honda didn't want, that it was the size thing that no, Honda that didn't was, want to watch the engine. It okay. was McLaren that forced that on them. Okay. Um. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes. So, now that this is the first time that the Formula One circus has convened (laughs) since 
Fernando Alonso's announcement. Yes. Otmar, who, you know, he typically has not been shy about talking to the media. No. And especially since coming to Alpine, he has not been shy about talking to the media. Um, There's been a lot of talking to the media over what's been going on and what's been happening and a lot of questions. And, you know, I, I looked at you as we were listening to the coverage this morning, and, and it was two days worth of, of that. And I looked at you and I said, you know, it sounds like Otmar and Fernando have had a falling out. Yeah. And that they're pissed at each other and Fernando's leaving because he doesn't like Otmar. Yes. Well, Otmar says, no, that's not the case. Did you call him? WhatsApp. You WhatsApp Yeah, it was, it was the WhatsApp group. You don't have WhatsApp on your phone. Which, which makes it all the more amazing, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there was psychic WhatsApp. Makes it all the more amazing. All right, so you WhatsApped with Otmar, and Otmar told you, no, everything's peachy. <clears throat> he had drinks with Fernando last night close he said that fernando invited otmar out to fernando's boat because fernando was going to be out on the boat in greece that was so that he could push otmar into the med well this was before the announcement this was this was like sunday night after hungary he's like hey you know if you're going to be in greece come on out i'll be on the boat that's so that fernando could push him into the med yeah so, you know, we had spoken a couple of weeks ago, or actually I think it was last week, it was after the announcement, you know, the, the interesting comments that came from Otmar that said that he didn't know anything about the announcement until the press release came out. Correct. So now what Otmar is saying is that... Um, Fernando had reached out to Luca DeMaio the CEO of Renault and Laurent Rossi, who is the, the chief of the program, the head of the, the, the F1 program and let them know. But it was because of the tightness of the timing that he didn't get to call all three of them before the announcement came out. So therefore the other two knew that this was coming, but Otmar didn't. Oh, okay. So the phone tree didn't include Otmar? Otmar says that, that it, it, it was just because the timing was so tight of when the calls were being made and when the announcement came out. Because the announcement came out early in the day. Otmar and, you know, sleeps in because he's Fernando kind of didn't want to, you know, it, it's rude to call people before 9 a.m. Yeah. That, that, that's what Otmar says. It, 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 it wasn't a matter that he was being kept in the dark or anything like that. Because the other folks at Renault, they knew that this was coming. And the other folks at Renault couldn't have called Otmar? I, I, I guess not. Maybe Otmar's phone number is not listed. You could possibly share it. Well, I, according to Otmar, he says that he was not involved in Fernando's contract negotiations and that Fernando was dealing with Luca DeMeo and with Laurent Rossi. 
not dealing with Otmar. Even though it was Otmar who said that, well, you know, we were only willing to give Fernando one-year contract extensions because Fernando's old. Remember, those that's what Otmar said. Okay. Uh-huh. I think Otmar probably was pointedly excluded. I think that since it is most logical that since Fernando has had a history of some bad blood with teams and with specific personalities, that Mm -hmm. he probably got into it with Otmar and decided that it was in his best interest to leave, which we all know that Fernando does not make great choices in his best interest. So anyway... um, well, you know, it, it's interesting you mention that because apparently on it's either a radio interview or it was a podcast, um, Damon Hill was giving his opinion on this. Oh, what did Damon say? He's typically pretty savvy. Damon said basically he doesn't under he he does not know what Fernando was thinking. That this move doesn't make any sense, and how you go from a team that's sitting in fourth on the grid for one that's in ninth on the grid, regardless of all of the money that um, Lance or, or that, that Lawrence Stroll is throwing into the program and, and, and putting into it and all of this investment, he doesn't see this as a potential step up for Fernando. And he doesn't think it's a matter of that, that it's related to money because Fernando doesn't need the money. So he's like... I don't know why Fernando and the the article that that I had seen that mentioned this alluded to that Damon was saying that maybe they conned Fernando hmm. to come over to the team. Interesting. Because he's like this is not a team on the rise. This is not a team showing promise and Let's face it, yes, Fernando wanted a long-term deal. They offered him a long-term deal, but he is older. He's getting towards the end of his career. And is this, his exact words, is this the team that he wants to end his career at? Exactly. But Fernando has a ridiculously long history of making emotional... Bad career decisions. Emotional and not logical career moves. So... Enjoy Racing Point. Yeah. Aston Point. Force Martin? Force Martin what? Force Martin Point? (laughs) Force Point Martin? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So meanwhile, on Monday, which means that probably by the time we get the show up, because we're recording on Sunday Sunday night as we normally do, that probably by the time the show goes up, we'll know a bit more. But on Monday, Formula One's Contracts Recognition Board is going to be meeting to decide whether Alpine or McLaren will have uh, Oscar Piastri for 2023. And here's the thing. Even if the board rules in favor of Alpine, after all that's happened... Yeah, it can't be good. Yeah, I mean... Alpine 
isn't going to want him at this point. So okay, I mean, this is going to this is going to work really bad for for Alpine because either well, best case scenario at this point is that they 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 lose the case because if they win the case, so that means that the contract resolution board or recognition board says yes, there is a legitimate contract for Oscar to drive for the team. Oscar has to drive, or there's penalties that have to be paid to to, to Alpine. But if you know McLaren says, "Okay, we lost the case. We're done. We're not. We're not doing this." So Oscar has to drive. Alpine at this point really doesn't want him. Okay, okay, finish up, and I'll tell you. My so opinion. then. Does that mean after all this has happened, it's Alpine's decision to break the contract, which means they then have to pay Oscar? Okay. So here's my theory. Okay. First, if Alpine wins that Oscar has a legitimate contract, that legitimate contract is as a reserve driver with an option. Mm-hmm. That is, And that's going to be key. So... Okay, he's a reserve driver with an option. The talk was that they had planned on re- exercising their option. Exercise the option. So, okay. So follow this logic. Alpine wins that he has a valid contract because it's a mm-hmm. reserve driver with an option. And it's probably like an option of first choice or something to that effect. And he also has signed something with McLaren. So he's got two contracts we believe he signed something with McLaren. so he's got two contracts so here's the deal the board's gonna look at this and go okay you have a real legitimate contract with Alpine you negotiated in bad faith with McLaren so if McLaren wants you McLaren needs to pay out to Alpine as part of this contract and Alpine's gonna go yep that works for us or they're gonna say you have a legitimate contract with Alpine. McLaren can't have you. If McC- if Alpine wants to release you, McLaren will will consider whether or not they pick you up. But Alpine can then turn around and release him, and he could get screwed out of having any seat. He could. My expectation, especially since McLaren let, and that's our, our next story, is that McLaren released Daniel Ricardo. Right. So they definitely need a driver. Mm-hmm. So McLaren, I don't think, is going to turn their back on Oscar. Regardless. It's going to be a question of... And, and, and I think it's going to be a question of two things. Do they turn around and go, you negotiated in bad faith with McLaren, which I, I don't think they're going to go there. I think they're going to look at it from the perspective of you went and negotiated the contract with McLaren. Yes, it's a legal contract. However, you were still under contract with Alpine. That Since that contract was already in place, the contract with McLaren is null and void, potentially. How much money do you think McLaren is going to pay out this year or this coming year for drivers? Because they're paying Daniel's salary. If he goes to another F1 team, they're paying his salary. So some team is going to want him just for the well, salary piece of that. I, I think when initially we had heard that number was going to be $25 million. I think the last I saw is 
the agreed upon amount was 15. And now they potentially have to pay extra for Oscar. I mean, really, McLaren? And that's on the F1 side. And and again, we don't know what the deal was. I mean, I, there there's no way that Oscar commands Daniel Ricardo level of money. No. And I would question as to whether or not Oscar even is going to command Lando Norris level of money. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't. But I think it's more you need to look at bigger picture with McLaren racing as a whole and the interesting contract maneuvers that they have made so far. Because remember, we're also, we've got the similar games going on in IndyCar with Felix Rosenquist and everything else that's going on there. And they've got four drivers and two seats over an IndyCar. They're not talking a third car. I mean, they could do four cars if they wanted to, but they're not. So... Maybe the next announcement that we're going to hear is that McLaren has let go their contracts and negotiation head. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And Did they hire Monisha? Oh, you know, that could be. I wonder if they picked... I mean, this is a Monisha-level move. Zach has taken a bit of heat on social media, and he's acknowledged that he's taken a bit of heat. And it sounds like predominantly where he's taken a heat is coming from the IndyCar fans right now. They're a bit ticked off at the game that's being played on that side of the house. Um, I really am surprised that it's McLaren that is doing this. I know. They've they've been better buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah, the, it, it's really odd. But we'll, we'll see what happens with Oscar in, in that situation. I just have a feeling that it's <clears throat> going to sandbag his career. And that's really sad. But he's going to come in with a... With a, I, I, it's not an asterisk, but sort of a. There's there's baggage there. There's baggage. Baggage is the and, word. And, Good and job. I, I think, you know, we're going to see what happens come, you know, this time next year with wherever he is. And is he, you know, th- there's going to be the automatic comparison between Oscar and how he's doing, even though he's a rookie. And how Daniel has done Hmm. and as much as honestly Daniel has been underperforming and we've said this before he's been underperforming and nobody especially not Daniel can really understands why he's underperforming because he is a much better driver than we've seen out of him but if Daniel at his underperforming worst with McLaren is still better than what we see from Oscar you know there's going to be comments. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of comments about that. Exactly. So, yeah, like we mentioned, Daniel Ricardo parting ways at the end of the season. Um, you know, initially we, we were thinking maybe he could go to Alpine, and he does seem to be a potential candidate over at Alpine. Um, Gunther Steiner is obviously being very, very silent on the subject. Um, the only thing that, that he's been open about, I guess, is that um, Kevin Magnuson has uh, another year with the team. Yes. You've been very confident about that. That's about all we know. Yeah. But it's got to be attracted to some of the back marker teams. 
that they could get a year of Daniel Ricardo essentially for free. Think about what that does to their their cost cap. Well, you know, especially if you're Williams in particular, you got to ask the question of if Daniel Ricardo's coming with $15 million from McLaren and he's already familiar with the Mercedes engine and he's popular in you know in the paddock and on the pit lane that that's a potential option over latifi mm-hmm. i mean given how latifi performs you gotta again even ricardo daniel ricardo with his worst, worst would be better than latifi yeah but what we don't i mean we know latifi comes to the team with money is he bringing as much as 15 million yeah that's the question Speaking of Williams, is that you're not? Did we just tee that up? Or? So <clears throat> Williams ha- has acknowledged um, that the reason that they signed and this and they did it as quickly as they did, but the reason that they signed Alex Albin was to make sure that nobody else could get their hands on him. <laughs> and we kind of figured as much. Yeah. Um, still hold that that was one of the best announcements. Got to give Alvin props <laughs> for a good sense of humor, or at least our social media person. Uh, good sense of humor, given how silly our silly season has been across both IndyCar and Formula One. But, you know, should they sign Daniel Ricardo? It does kind of represent a bit of a sea change for Williams. Because... You know, Williams was always known for bringing in rookies mm-hmm. and being a launch point for rookies, especially over the last 10 years. And they would have a driver lineup of two experienced Formula One drivers. They would. You know, they, they brought Alex in. He had, what, two years experience at the top of, not only that, experienced drivers, but two former Red Bull drivers. Yeah. That would be interesting. It could be very interesting, but it's a different Williams team. Yeah. That's the thing we have to remember. So, you know, in terms of what's going on over at Alpine and potential driver situation, this weekend, and honestly, it started from what I heard with Sky, because I didn't hear anywhere else, but this weekend was the first that we heard that Pierre Gasly was being considered as a contender for that Alpine seat. That Alpine seat that they're going to court with to keep Oscar in. Yeah. Okay. Now let's remember, Pierre already has a contract with Alpine or, or with Alpha Tori for next year. Mm-hmm. So. But contracts can be broken. Well, contracts can be broken. And let's also remember that Carlos signed slid over to Renault even though he had the tie-up with um, um, Red Bull. Yeah, but it wasn't Red Bull at the time. All of a sudden, Tor- Toro Rosso. I was oh. trying to remember what the old name was, and all of a sudden, it, it, I yes, lost it. You were not giving me anything. There was nothing in that that was like, sounds I was like... like I, I kept going to Alpha Tori, and I'm like, it's not Alpha Tori. He didn't drive for Alpha Tori. And it, you know, it was because he still had the tie up with Toro Rosso. 
Right. And he was on loan to Renault. And then that mm-hmm. opened the door for him to go over to Ferrari. And no, it opened the door for him to go to McLaren. McLaren and then Ferrari. Mm-hmm. But yes, that, that opened the door for him to break his ties with the Red Bull Junior Driver Program. Um, Gasly's already been told he's not going back up to the big boys in Red Bull. He's, he's been told he's not going back up to the big boys at Red Bull, but he is signed to stay with Alpha Tori through 23. Mm-hmm. So this would mean breaking a contract in order to bring him over. But I think the other big difference when it came to Carlos Sainz in that move was Red Bull had Alex Albin waiting in the wings. They had a potential junior to bring in. If they were to let Pierre Gasly go, they don't have anybody waiting in the wings that that, that I know of. Well, Daniel Ricciardo is free now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? But, but I mean, that's the question is, you know, they, they signed Sergio Perez because they didn't have a promising junior driver they weren't going to give yuki the seat they've learned a lesson that you don't bring somebody up too soon yuki's acknowledged at this point that there's no guarantee that he's back next year um and i think that may be some of the conversations with honda because i think that's part of why yuki has the seat is he's part of the honda development program Mm -hmm. not the red bull program right honestly i think we're still playing three-card Monty with drivers right now. So, you know, folks went to Esteban Ocon and said, you know, what are your thoughts around this? Because you guys don't really get along. What's happening here? So Esteban said that, you know, when they started, because they they were carding together, they were actually really good friends. Their families were really good friends. Um, And it was... Pierre, according to Esteban, Pierre got his start because Pierre was by the track adjacent, best way to put it. And on a whim, like Esteban's dad said, hey, you want to try try the cart? And that hooked Gasly, and that's how they got started. Suppose, the, the rumor is, Esteban does not confirm this, but the rumor is that the, fa- the falling out came because... Pierre came in, and after a couple of years, Pierre started beating Esteban, Mm. is what the rumor is. Now, Esteban says, no, that's not the case, and, and, you know, he'll drive with anybody. He's happy to drive with anyone. No, you know. Well, I thought it was interesting in today's uh, race coverage or uh, Grand Prix Sunday 1 that they mentioned that Ocon has issues with the other drivers, and it's is hard to work with. That's somehow known around the, the paddock. Well, think about it. And the statement was that was really surprising because he's so nice to the press. And like that was somebody was a little shocked by that piece of information. And I was one of those somebodies. But, but if you think about it, though, yeah, we've seen quite a bit of fireworks between Esteban and his other drivers. You know, just this past season, in, in what? In France? It was Fernando and Esteban getting in tangles with each other and Fernando getting ticked at Esteban over it. Okay, but we had but chalked that up to being Fernando having problems with his teammate. Go back to Esteban, was it his last year with Racing Point or the year before that with Racing Point and the incident in Spa between him and Sergio Perez 
that had Esteban and Sergio both screaming over to the radio with each other or about each other that there was contact on the the opening lap on the front straight and actually I think it was Otmar who had to lay down the law with them for the rest of the season and said you absolutely will not under any circumstances (laughs) race against each other for the rest of the season you will hold position and you will only change positions when we tell you against each other and then I think it was the following year where they back things seemed to have cooled off a little bit and they were allowed to race each other again but I mean, if you remember, he's gotten into tangles with his teammates before, and it's gotten really heated. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who they do put next to him. Yeah. So we got breaking news live on the air, thanks to the folks at Sky. So there was question. This year was supposed to be um, the the final year of the existing contract for Spa to remain on the Formula One calendar. Um, there was a lot of talk a couple months ago, and I think we had mentioned it, that Formula One was very interested in returning to South Africa and going to Kyalami. And as a result of that, that was putting Spa's position in jeopardy on the calendar for 23. Mm-hmm. What we understand has occurred and that has led to the announcement that came this morning, is that something has broken down in the negotiations with Kyalami. We don't know what it is. We don't know why this is all rumor, but that's what we have heard is that those negotiations have broken down, which has left the slot open for 23, need to make decisions about firming up that calendar, and as a result, Spa was offered a one-year extension. Wow. Now, if you're the promoters at Spa, you know, on one hand, you got to be thrilled over the fact that you you were offered the extension and, and, and you're taking it. On the other, you've got to be absolutely livid that Formula One is treating you this way. Mm-hmm. And I say that because after the event last year, rain or not, completely irrelevant for this, but after the event last year, Spa underwent a multi-million dollar renovation around um, the Camel Strait and the hairpin, the source hairpin and the grandstands that are right over there and several other parts of the course specifically to address concerns from Formula One. It was the whole reason they went through this. And now Formula One's like, yeah, we think we're going to leave. On top of the fact that you are one of the most popular tracks that Formula One goes to. Mm-hmm. And Formula One, they go, yeah, we think we might want to leave. That's the part I just can't understand. I mean, this is a, a traditionally sold out track. It is a historic track. It is a popular track. It is an iconic track. We, there's no loyalty there. I mean, that's the part of that that's just amazing to me. Well, it's it's not just that. It, it's the, the, the attendance figures for this weekend were over 300,000 people. I know. And how many went to Paul Ricard? Wasn't that like 50,000? Yeah. 
why is it that you're more willing to stick with Paul Ricard than you are with Spa? I know. I just, I, I don't get it. I don't know. I, I don't understand. But we've got one more year. We'll see what happens to that. I, th- this is one of those things that I think the fans, the media, and Spa need to be going to Formula One and going, look at these crowds. Yeah. Look at how well attended this event is compared to some of the other European events, some of the Asian events, some of these other events that you've been going to. Why is this one in jeopardy? Yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, it, it would be great to go to South Africa. That that would be terrific. I would trade Paul Ricard for South Africa. Paul Ricard would be a great option over South Africa. Or excuse me, South Africa would be a great option for, for Paul Ricard. We think. But honestly, evaluate the attendance see what embedding is it's what these tracks are paying in their promoter fees what they're willing to pay what they're willing to pay is what's driving it not the popularity of the track Mm -hmm. or of the attendance of the population because really and truly ticket sales are not formula one's problem no they're not but in in a way this is resorting back to and, and i understand it but this is resorting back to the bernie eccleston model of you know I will have a race wherever they're going to meet my extortionate demands. Mm -hmm. And now that you've got Miami and them pulling the buckets of money in and you've got um, Cutter and them pouring in the buckets of money and all of these other races that are pouring in these buckets full of money, well, now they're looking at Spa, who maybe is only paying $25 million. And... Monaco that is only giving the token sum of money and they're going well you know we can make 120 million dollars off of these guys where why aren't you coughing it up yeah and I have to give this is the one thing I will say Bernie did fairly well is he protected some of the legacy pieces he did he did and I mean, Mo- Monaco would not be under threat under Bernie Eccleston. No, no. Now he did other things. I, I, you know, and we've talked about those at yeah. length. But keeping those, like, you have to have your pillars that say these are almost these are untouchable until the venue says we do not want you here. You continue to go, Silverstone, uh. Spa, Monaco. So- See, and I don't even fully agree with that, especially when you hear the stories about up until what, 2013, 2014, the conditions over at Interlagos and how bad that track was and the facilities were. And it it was Bernie turning around and telling him either pick it up or we're leaving, well, that they went and did that. But... I mean, okay, obviously maintenance and things like that need to be accounted for. If, if for example, if Spot didn't spend millions of dollars, if it if it had let things go to disarray, then yes, you leave. But if you're still pulling in 300,000 people crowds, you've got upgraded facilities, 
They're obviously wanting you there and doing the things to keep you there other than writing a giant blank check. You've got history here. Well, actually, I think what the judge should be is, you know, if you want to say that Formula One is not just a sport, but it's entertainment, what are the venues that deliver entertainment, that deliver good racing? And, And I get some of these were designed by Formula One's pet designer, but still... What are what are the venues that deliver good racing and good sport? So yeah, that does turn around and knock um, potentially Monaco or puts them in jeopardy. Although there's other pieces that make that worthwhile, but it tr- Paul Ricard puts them in trouble. It puts Abu Dhabi in trouble. It puts some of these other crappy tracks that we go to that pay a lot of money to be there in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you're a crappy track that pays a lot of money that you're in trouble of falling off because you don't produce good racing. And that, I think you're right. I think that should be the measure. And you can't say Spa doesn't produce good racing because you can, everything starts with you can pass at Spa. Mm -hmm. And if good racing is defined by passing, which it seems to be the default thing. Well, it's not good racing because it's processional. So it must be about passing. You can pass at Spa, therefore it should tick that box. Now you've got passing that happens. You have good racing that happens as a result. You have crowds. Mm-hmm. Tell me why they're in jeopardy again. Yeah. So, the, and of course... Well, actually, before I even talk about that, I should mention one other thing. So Mercedes ran this weekend. Well, a special livery. 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 Now, it wasn't the full livery that everyone thought was coming, that they initially showed off on the show cars. So this weekend was the, I believe it was the 50th anniversary of AMG and their first race win. Yes. Because I think what it ties to. Um in a car that was known as the Red Pig. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the 300 SEL 6.8 AMG that finished second overall and won its class at the 1971 Spa 24 Hours. Now, the, you may those numbers may not mean anything to you, but the, the Mercedes 300 SEL, when you see it, you know exactly what it is. It is that classic Mercedes sedan from the early 70s um, that when they are restored they are fantastic looking and these are cars that are kind of bulletproof to begin with i mean wasn't that the car choice of all dictators and leaders and no you're talking to grocer the bigger one so this is the smaller version of the car of choice of all dictators and world leaders Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. This is the sportier. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. You you look at this car and, you know, it looks like the, you know, if you remember the, the whole idea behind NASCAR and being stock cars was that, you know, it could win and they could sell it in the showroom. That's what this Mercedes, the 300 SEL was. Right. And you look at the pictures of it and you wouldn't know it's a race car except for the fact that it's got all these stickers all over it. <laughs> Because that's the kind of car that it was. But it was the AMG engine and they won. And as a result, though, it got the nickname the Red Pig. Mm -hmm. 
so this is the anniversary of the red pig and to commemorate that there was a show car that went around and everyone heard the mercedes was running a special livery that was the front was going to if you remember the Hockenheim, how it was the white and it looked like it peeled back. Well, they did the, something similar, but with red. Mm-hmm. And everyone, and it looks really sharp. Um, well, Mercedes made the decision, if you noticed this weekend, not to run that full livery. No, they ran the roundels with the uh, yeah. car numbers. Now, there was one other piece of it that they changed at the last minute. There was an AMG, uh, a Mercedes AMG logo that they were supposed to run as well um that they took off the car because it was pointed out and 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 i haven't seen it so i don't know exactly what it looks like but apparently it was pointed out by a lot of people on social media that that specific design bore a striking resemblance to the logo of an adult entertainment site on the internet oh that was bad choice yeah so that that's why we didn't see that logo for the race and qualifying because they they hurriedly removed that from the cars when they realized what it was oh okay yeah um (laughs) oops (laughs) i think you know because i choose to see the bright side of these things i think that that sounds like the mercedes marketing department and livery design people do not frequent said adult websites. I think this is a positive. Either that it was somebody in marketing going, let's see if we can get away with this one. That never happens in marketing at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you'll notice though, the card did not run with anything other than the the meatball on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, the explanation for why that was, was one, we are at the start of a triple header and it's kind of silly to run a special paint job for one race at the start of a triple header but also it's a decal and you know everything you put on the car adds weight and this would have added weight to the car and given the fact that the car kind of is already a bit draggy and not performing really well maybe you don't want to go and slap more crap on it you never know maybe it would stop the porpoising yeah <laughs> so that's why we didn't get the other components of the design on the car. Okay. Um, we thought it was because historically, if Mercedes runs a special livery, it does not do well. Well, you know, it's funny. Autosport did turn around and say that um, Mercedes did have a reluctance to go with special uh, liveries after the disaster of the special white color scheme it ran at the 20. 20- 19 German Grand Prix to celebrate its 125 years of motorsport. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We were expecting a disaster to come out of it. And we got close. We got real close. This certainly was not one of their better weekends. It was not. Um, if you happen to have listened to Grand Prix Sunday... Um, they broke it down a bit as to how bad Saturday was. So Total Wolf came out and said that it was the team's, and, and his worst qualifying, actually more than just the team, because I don't think he's been with the team for 10 years yet. I don't remember. Um, yeah, he's he's been with the team for nine. He said it was the worst qualifying in 10 years. In 10 years. That was because Lewis was 
eight seconds off the pace and George was 2.1 seconds off the pace. All right. And yeah, it's amazing that they were that far off the pace and they still had Q3 positions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. And if they started where they did, yeah, it was a lot to do with the fact that there were seven cars that got penalties to start off the race to begin with. But, wow, this is brutal. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what this reminds me of and what we're seeing from the Mercedes and the fact that, you know, at certain tracks, they think they've got it nailed down and they think they're going in the right direction only to tweak one small thing and it falls apart. Or, you know, they struggle on Saturday, but their race pace, the car seems to come alive and they do a whole lot better. What this reminds me of is that difference between, and I don't know if it's the same now, but in the previous design of the cars, that difference between a push rod and pull rod suspension, Mm -hmm. that one of them, you know, it it tends to be slower, but it's not as difficult to set up. And it's a bit more forgiving in the setup around your performance. And the other, yeah, it can be faster, but it's not as forgiving. And if you screw up the design of the car and you screw up the setup of the car, you end up significantly off the pace. And that's what happened with McLaren in 2023. They changed their suspension. 2013. Or 2013. Thank you. Sorry. It was on a roll. You were time traveling. Yes. Exactly. I think that that's... It's like when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. I was on a roll, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yes. The reality is we have talked about for years that the Mercedes car is a diva. And this one seems to be out divaing everything. Um, but yeah, this was rough. And it was not any better in the race. It, well, it was slightly better. And, and the only reason why I say that is because George ended up in fourth he was able to stay ahead of Charles and I get Charles and we'll talk about that had a wounded car but at one point it looked like he had the potential to close in on Carlos Sainz Mm -hmm. and I was not expecting that at all yeah so yeah it wasn't great but it was better than I expected I mean the one thing that is incredibly shocking was the fact that even if everything was working properly, Max Verstappen was pulling in almost a second a lap on everybody. I don't know what go-go juice they gave that car, but it was in a different planet. Mm-hmm. Just was. I thought about something during the race, and I will throw this out here. And trust me, this personally pains me to say this. Last year... I very much stood on the soapbox that I didn't think Max really won the championship. Yes, I know. He got more points. He, he is the world champion. I'm dealing with it. I still go through a lot of therapy about it. But there were so many external factors that played into mm-hmm. that that I really thought that the season had an asterisk on it. And I was watching the race today, fuming, um, hurting for my, my guy, all of those things. And it dawned on me. This year, 
when Max wins the world championship, there's not going to be an asterisk. He has been on a different level. And I can confidently say that it makes me, it pains me because I don't like him, but it doesn't pain me from the standpoint of when we talk about that deserve, that's what I want to see. I don't have to like him, but he did all the things right this year. Well, well, I was going to say, compared to last year, there can be no debate and no argument that it, that, the championship winner, as it stands right now, will be the driver and car that hands down outperformed everybody else. Exactly. No controversy, nothing. Hands down, driver and car outperformed everybody else. And that's what Donna made when I watched the race today, that he was, he was on a different planet. With Max pulling in on average one second faster than everybody else. I mean, think about how this could have played out. One second faster than everybody else. If he had actually managed to hold on to pole, this race would have been an embarrassment for everybody. Mm-hmm. He gained I mean, <laughs> five or eight spots by the end of the first lap it was crazy it was well, truly crazy. both he did and charles did charles was doing fairly well and i don't want to get into it too much but there was an overheating problem and we'll talk about that in a bit but both of them had a good start one of the and and this wasn't a great race in general it had its moments mm-hmm. the opening of the race was was phenomenal and sad yeah, but it was it was a phenomenal opening. Um, there were a couple of other points. There were some good overtakes. That, um, what was it? Sebastian Vettel taking two in one shot. And Esteban Ocon had a couple of times that he took two cars in one shot. I mean, there were some really good passes that happened. But overall, the race settled down kind of quick that there wasn't a whole lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um but back to the opening and, and that whole scenario. So big thing wanted to talk about was the accident between Fernando Alonso and Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Um, Lewis came out afterwards and acknowledged it was his fault. Now Lewis says that Fernando w- was in his blind spot, which but still a possible, classic. but still a class act. That is a class move. Hands down, love Lewis. Few drivers will unequivocally say, yep, that was me, and that well, fast. Honestly, he didn't have a choice. When when you looked at the video, it was incredibly obvious that Lewis did not give him room. Mm-hmm. And he should have. And and that that's the one issue I have with Lewis going, well, he was in my blind spot, is that he knew Fernando was there. He was battling with Fernando for a for position going into the turn so he knew Fernando was there and he didn't give him room I don't quite see it so much of Fernando was in his blind spot as he expected Fernando to back down I should have known better there and and 
Lewis was in the wrong, and, and I agree with him that he was in the wrong there. I just, I don't, I don't agree with his reasoning around it. Um, Lewis has come out, like I said, he apologized to the team, he apologized to the fans for that. Um, he did get a warning from the stewards because I guess the impact was enough to trigger the G-force sensors that required a mandatory visit to medical, and he declined. Yeah. Which you're not supposed to do. Exactly. Um, he did, however, escape penalty, and that shocked me. You know, from what we've seen in the past, first lap or not, the, the stewards don't seem to really care whether or not it's a first lap. This year and last year, you don't leave room for somebody. They hit you with a penalty. Mm-hmm. They deemed this a first lap racing incident, and they didn't issue a penalty. And, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with deeming it a first lap racing incident. It was, and, and that's fair. What stuns me is that it's been almost two and a half years since one of since an incident like this was ruled as a first lap racing incident and dismissed. Mm-hmm. And again, let's go back to the lack of consistency. Oh yeah, I I agree. Now the one thing that we don't know is that if Lewis hadn't DNF'd at that point, maybe they would have assessed a penalty, and maybe that's why they didn't, is because his race was over. I mean, but, that's mm. entirely possible that they felt like the penalty he received was sufficient. Yeah. So as for Charles Leclerc started out kind of okay you know he made it up to i think it was six or is it ninth um he didn't make it as far as Verstappen did in those first that first lap he didn't make it quite as far um but he made it fairly far up the grid and then you know he had to come in during the safety car they changed out the tires and because he said that he was getting smoke and it was heating yes overheating so what they found, and we heard the radio call, there was a tear-off, one of the, the helmet tear-off, the visor tear-offs, it got sucked into a brake duct. They cleared it, and it should be better. That tear-off came from extra step. Oh. Yeah. I gotta say, Martin Brundle's right. They have got to come up with a plan for that. It's one thing... It's been an ongoing problem. Yeah. I mean, for all the years that we've watched... It's one thing, yeah, you know, I get they need to see. I'm, I'm pro them seeing. Mm-hmm. But they tear those visor things off and they they toss them so that they don't get into their own air intake. But then that leaves them out there for anybody's. Well, they, they've tried a couple of, and, and we've talked about this before, they, they've tried a couple of solutions. Um, at one point it was they were supposed to tear them off and shove them down into the car, mm-hmm. uh, into the cockpit. That worked for a while, and then there was an aerodynamic change, and shoving them into the cockpit, they'd get sucked up. Um, usually what would happen is instead of getting sucked up into the car behind you, they got sucked up into your own car and caused problems. Um, there was an attempt to try and put like a bag or a pouch or something like that for them to shove them in. That didn't work particularly well. They've tried a bunch of different things. None of it seems to work. I don't know what the right answer is short of, you know, let's go with the error screen. And then the drivers don't have any tear-offs. 
It's when they come in the pit, they pull it up. Because that's what they do in like Le Mans is it's the, the whole windscreen is a giant tear off. And when they come into the pit, they tear it off and it gets tossed into the trash at that point. So what if they could only tear them off in the pit? Just chew on that one. I mean, well, the the, pro- the problem is okay. So they can tear they, they tear them off in the pit if the team doesn't grab it or they can't grab it. And and we've seen it happen previous years of even in the pit lane, somebody goes and pulls a tear off as they're on the the, the fast lane in the pit lane, and a car behind it sucks it up. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse of a problem there because they're they're closer together, and there's less movement from the speed of the cars to carry that away. No, no, no. I'm saying that's a step in the pit process. You get when you are stationary, you can have you can tear it off and in, in hand to somebody. That is your job as the driver. Well, is tearing your thing off right then. Then it is isolating. It, 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 well, that that runs into the problem of you get something on the tear off while you're on the track. Yeah, that that's and the now downside. You're, and now your vision is obstructed until you can get back to the pit lane and now you have to do a pit stop just to clear that and that's i don't think that that's a workable solution either it's i'm telling fun. you it's it's error screen yeah. it's it's error screen and then you don't have a tear-off problem anymore but you could make the same argument that they could get something thrown up on their error screen and then they'll have an obstructed view until they get back to the pit lane when it can get peeled. But the difference is you've got a much bigger screen in front of you. You know, when something hits your visor, you're, all you can see is that small slice of your visor. When you've got the arrow screen, you've got all of that real estate of the arrow screen, which is, you know, 50 to 100 times larger than your visor. I, I don't so, have an answer, but yeah. yes. So, Charles has the overheating issue, which apparently was significant enough that several of the sensors in the car were damaged. Um, Despite all of that, you know, he made it all the way up to fifth and then had Ferrari try and screw him. Mm -hmm. Effectively did it. I, I, I get the whole idea of... You know, let's come in, see if we can at least steal the fastest lap point from Max. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do something like that, you do it when your pit stop is, it doesn't jeopardize your position. And you understand that there's a risk that if the pit stop goes wrong, you could lose the position. But it doesn't just, it doesn't damage your position. And you've got to be pretty confident that you're actually going to get the point to take the risk in the first place. Yeah. And they pulled Charles in, and he lost the position of Fernando. Now, yes, he got it back, but I think that probably had an impact on, you know, his his preparation for that final lap, his one shot to get the fastest lap. And I don't think he had the pace to begin with, even on the soft tires. Yeah. So this was, you know... Something's got to got to happen over at Ferrari, and we went into the the break despite all the strategy errors and all of the own goals that Ferrari triggered to hamper Charles and take him out of the championship race. 
And, you know, the expectation when you go into to the summer break is that you, one of the things you do besides resting is you, you know, where can you improve? What can you change? What can you do to fix it? And Mattia Bonotto said point blank going into it that we don't think that there's anything to change. You know, the first denial is, is a problem. Mm-hmm. It, once you accept that you have a problem, you can fix your problem. But if he's got nothing to change, then why do you keep having the same problems? We're still seeing strategy mistakes and bad calls. And, you know, they were questioning the engineer and the conversations with Charles and Carlos about tires and what we wanted to do for strategy and how it was showing a lack of confidence, the fact that they kept going to the drivers at this point. Mm-hmm. It, something's got to change over there. I, mean, I I get it. Every year we talk about the fact that at some point we're going to see Ferrari implode. Mm-hmm. We were hoping this year, it was looking promising that it wasn't going to happen. Unfortunately, we've seen Ferrari not just do what they normally do, but they seem to have gotten worse about it. They are spectacular at imploding. So, to top all of that off, we heard as we got to the end of the broadcast that there was an investigation going on for speeding in the pit lane for Charles Leclerc for that pit stop (laughs) to go on to softs to try and get the fastest lap. And it turns out that Charles got a five-second penalty for being one mile an hour over the pit lane speed limit, which meant that he lost the position to Fernando Alonso. Even if he, after he gained it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So according to Ferrari, the reason why this occurred is because they were using a different sensor to, man- to measure speed than they normally do. Because the sensor they normally use was damaged in the overheating earlier in the race and wasn't working properly. Alrighty. I didn't. You can't make this up. No. No, you can't. So, just to, to let everybody know, we are now at the point of the season where it is not mathematically possible for some drivers to win the driver's championship. I've accepted the fact that I am no longer in contention for the driver's championship. I said drivers. Oh. So, as of today, Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Sebastian Vettel, Daniel Ricciardo, and Pierre Gasly have all been eliminated from the World Drivers' Championship contention. Okay, so wait a minute. That means that Lance Stroll is still in contention and so is Nick Latifi. No. There are seven total drivers left who are in contention. So that does not mean that Lance and Nick Latifi. It's just that these are the latest drivers to fall out of contention. Oh, the latest round. Yes. I thought this was the all-inclusive list of people that are now. Yeah. Seven are left in contention. Okay. So, Stefano Domenicali. Sometimes we like him. I mean, he makes some good decisions for Formula One. And then he makes some questionable ones. He's not totally favoring Ferrari anymore. Well, it's nice to know that he's discovered there's nine other teams on the grid. Yeah. Um, 
so he's talked a bit about the status of it, of Michael Andretti and Andretti Autosports bid. He says, I think today in the actual status of F1, it's not a problem of quantity. It's where we can see a step of increasing the value of F1. It is a matter of understanding really not only the ones that have a bigger or louder voice, but there will be other people because Andretti was quite vocal about his request. There are others that have done the same in a different way. So the evaluation is not only with Andretti, the evaluation is with others that are respecting the silence on trying to be more productive on proving who they are and respecting the protocol we have put in place. As I've always said, I don't believe that it is today the problem of having more teams that will give more value to the championship. But there is a protocol that has to be fulfilled, and everyone, Andretti included, is following that. So this is the situation today. I don't see any changes. I don't want to say yes or no. But he's also saying that because Michael said that, you know, they want to come to Formula One, that's not acceptable. No, it's not honoring the quietness of this. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that there's going to be a diluting of the prize fund. There's ways to make that work. And I don't think that that should be a reason not to bring a team into Formula One. Well, yeah. I mean, there's other reasons not to bring a team into Formula One, but that But diluting be. the prize fund should not be it. No. And I don't even necessarily have a problem with bringing a team into Formula One. If they're well-resourced, because that's the thing, is what we don't want to see is we don't want to see another Caterham or Marussia that comes in that is showing up on a shoestring budget and barely scratching by. And there's a question every single weekend as to whether or not they're going to even make it to qualify to put a car on the grid in the first place. Right. I got a problem with that. But if a team can can put forward an entrant that is competitive and is well-resourced and can function in at the level of the rest of the organization, they shouldn't be told no. As long as all of those drivers can safely be on the track at the same time. I don't think there's any problem with 22 cars being on a track. I don't even think there's a problem with 24 cars. That's my only, that is my concern is at some point you cannot field enough car you cannot field yeah. all of those cars and it still be safe on the track. I agree with you. I don't want to see another return to uh automatic guarantee of who's going to finish in last place. Well, and whether or not they're going to hit the 107% and all of those things that we got through the HRT Marusha and Caterham years. And but keep in mind though there are mechanisms, and admittedly, it was before we watched Formula One. I want to say it was in the 80s. At one point, there were like 18 or 19 different teams competing in the series, but there were not 18 or 19 teams on the grid. Mm-hmm. What it was, that was part of the point of qualifying. It didn't just set who, where folks were going to be on the grid. It was who was going to be on the grid. And it was possible that... You did not perform well enough in qualifying. You were not running on Sunday. That would be what the word qualifying means, that you qualify for the race. Yes. Yeah. So 
you know, if we had, if we got back to that point that we had 16, 17, even 20 teams in Formula One, but part of qualifying was to determine who was actually going to, who was going to be the 12 cars, or, or, or excuse me, the, the, the 12 teams or the 14 teams that actually were going to get cars on the grid on Sunday, I'd be okay with that. So here's the question for you. We're going to explore this for a half a second and ask our audience to forgive us for going a little long. Let's pretend for a second. There's 15 teams. Mm-hmm. They're fielding 30 drivers. We're going to take the top 22. So eight cars won't make the the grid on Sunday. Eight cars. Now it would be eight cars, not eight teams because it would be by the car yep so we have spa as it is currently set up and seven drivers had to take penalties which would have pushed them at the back of the grid so you would have had a situation exactly where max verstappen wouldn't have been able to run and that changes the equation that that changes the whole calculation as to whether or not you take an engine penalty because if it's that engine penalty that turns around and says that you need to take a 5-10 or back-of-the-grid penalty, and back-of-the-grid penalty means that your car is outside of contention to run on Sunday, that completely, because now it guarantees that, no, you can't turn around and make it from back-of-the-grid into the points. It is, you get zero points. Mm-hmm. That totally changes the equation. But I'll also challenge you in the fact that, you know, we could have a lot more cars than 24 on the grid safely. Because yeah. look at IndyCar. Okay. Not NASCAR levels. NASCAR's ridiculous with the number of cars they put out there. But IndyCar has a lot more cars on the track. All right. Some tracks, I would agree with you. But there's the Red Bull ring that's the shortest track on circuit. Monaco would be bad for it too. And yeah. Where the podium sitters are the only ones that are on the first lap by the end of the race. Yeah. Like fifth has been lapped. And and maybe that's one of the other things is that on shorter tracks, the grid is smaller and the grid has to contract and that qualifying becomes that important. But on longer tracks, like Spa, we can have the full group up there. That'd be I mean, interesting. That, that's, that's also a potential. Hey, now, have you, talk, have you WhatsApped Ross Braun about this yet? I have not. You might want to like talk to him, because he may have sway over Dominicali. Now, the one thing that Stefano did say, that we are fully in support of, and we back him 100%. And he said this, I think it was last week. It wasn't this week. Fully support him. He came out and he said unequivocally, unequivocally. Easy for you to say. Yeah. Without any doubt, quote, there will be no more racing in Russia. And then he dropped the mic and walked off the stage. Pretty much. Good job. Stefano, I can support you there. Now, will you go pick up the phone and call Michael Andretti, please? So, so, you know, back to that statement, though. We have confirmed. As long as Stefano Domenicali is in charge of Formula One, 
there will not be a discussion of Formula One going to Russia no matter what happens. I support that. I do too. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.